Exodus 29.1, it says, And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them. To minister unto me in the priest's office, take one young bullock and two rams without blemish. And then verse 7, it says, Then shalt thou take the anointing oil. Look at this, anointing oil. Pompeian, extra light olive oil. You will take your anointing oil and you will pour it on the head and anoint him. Anybody here would be willing to come up and let me dump this bottle of olive oil on your head? Is there anybody? We have one, Elijah. Uh, we have a couple. We have a couple. I'm not really going to do it. I was just curious. Now, if I had plastic up here and wouldn't ruin the carpet, I might do it because that'd be fun. It's not easy to get out of your hair and body or even your vehicle. So somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole, the East Coast and the West Coast, I dated a young lady one time before my wife. And um, my wife came into contact with this young lady and her friends. And I broke up with this young lady because I knew that I was dating with the intent of marriage. And I did not see her as my future wife. So I broke up. Well, she didn't appreciate that. And her friends didn't appreciate that. So her friends actually took olive oil and anointed my wife, not at that point, Jackie. They anointed her Ford Mustang with olive oil. They poured it all over her car and wrote on her windshield, Gary belongs to this person. That's a little psycho, but... Um, So I felt the duty to clean her car for her, and uh, man, it was a beast. It was tough to get olive oil off of a vehicle. So if you're going to anoint someone, if you're going to anoint their car, ask their permission before you do that. And so anyway, so uh, and I think my wife's watching online. They went to visit her uncle, who's not doing very well physically in Wisconsin, and so her and her parents and Tiffany, they all went up there, so she probably is either going to laugh at that story or yell at me for telling it. So we'll see what happens when she gets home. But it says, verse 20, Then shalt thou kill the ram, take his blood, and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons, and upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot. And, and, and you, you think, Apostolic Pentecostal services are weird sometimes. Imagine going to this as a guest. You'd be like, what in the world is going on? Take your shoe off. I'm taking my shoe off. And put the oil on the toe and sprinkle blood upon the altar round about. And thou shalt take of the blood that is upon the altar and the anointing oil and sprinkle it upon Aaron, upon his garments, upon his sons, upon the garments of his sons with him. He shall be hallowed in his garments, his sons, and his sons' garments with him. Very clear expectation from the Lord, right? So this morning I'm going to talk about this, the flow, the flow of anointing oil, flow of anointing oil. God, thank you for everybody who's tuning in online. Thank you for every man, woman, and child in person here today. God, your word is so rich and powerful and alive that Jesus, it, it, it just it doesn't need any assistance. But Lord God, as a human man, 
I do, and so I ask that you'd anoint me, strengthen me, God, to deliver your word and speak through me. And don't just anoint me, but anoint the, the eyes and the ears and the hearts of the people who are here and watching online to receive what it is that you want to do, Lord. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. In the Old Testament, God established a public act that showed when a man at that time was going to be a priest or a prophet. I'm thankful that in the New Testament, we also read about women being prophetesses and being mightily used of God and, and, uh, and being anointed for these things. And so they were to take anointing oil on the priest and pour it on the head of the priest, and it would literally run down and cover his entire beard and face and clothes, and it would just cover his entire body soaked in anointing oil. And this is the way David describes it in the book of Psalms when he, compor- he compares unity to the flow of anointing oil. In Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, referring back to that high priest, and that went down to the skirts of his garments. So this oil, this oil was not just dabbed on, on head, maybe like we might use it when someone comes to the altar today. But that's, that's a little nicer. You know, imagine a guest. If you need prayer and we just dumped a bottle of oil all over there, they might not appreciate that. But um, they did not just dab it. They covered them. And so this process is exactly what happened when God, with Moses and God's people, they watched this be done to Moses and um, to Aaron, I'm sorry, and to Aaron's sons. And, and in Exodus 29, it tells us that some of these things that they did, they took the blood of the sacrifice and they put it on the tip of his ear, on the tip of the right ear of his sons, and, and, and on the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot, and, and, and we, we see this. And, and they also took the blood and the anointing oil, and they mixed it together, mixing the blood and the oil together. Interesting. In Exodus and Leviticus, when the priest of God would offer sacrifice to the Lord, God commanded the oil be mixed in preparation for the sacrifice. It constantly says whatever the sacrifice was, it had to be mixed or mingled with oil. The Hebrew word for mingle means to mix or overflow. God wanted the sacrifice to be mixed or overflowed with oil. You see that? In Scripture, it says... Make the sacrifice, mix it with the blood and the oil, and let the sacrifice be overflowed with oil. Think of when you make a cake, right? Separate ingredients or make cookies. If I'm making chocolate chip cookies, I might have eggs and milk and sugar and chocolate chips and flour and butter. And I'll have all these things when I bake, which is never. Okay. My wife was out of town, and I bought one of those slice and bake chocolate chip Pillsbury cookie doughs. And I'm like, I'm going to be a cool dad. I'm going to bake cookies for my kids while my wife is gone. And um, I ate the chocolate chip cookie dough out of the package and never even got, I never even got the cookies onto the pan and into the oven. But, Lord, it was good. And so we mix these ingredients together to make one substance that we're going to make that looks and tastes amazing. And I loved ba- I loved bakery baked goods, cinnamon rolls, cookies. Like, if the Lord speaks to you this week, bring them to my house. That's fine. And so our sacrament, that's why, too, I'm 
outgrowing some of my, I'm a growing boy, uh, growing some of my suits. And so priests were not the only ones anointed in the, in, with oil, I'm sorry, in the, in the Old Testament. It was also for kings. It was kings and priests were both anointed with oil. Samuel anoints Saul as the king of Israel in 1 Samuel 9. Samuel anoints David as the king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16. Zadok anoints Solomon as the king of Israel in 1 Kings 1. And guess what? When they anointed them, it was that same process of pouring the oil over their heads. The Hebrew word to anoint is the root for Messiah, and the Messiah literally means anointed one. As I said, the specific practice of anointing by pouring oil on the head was used as symbolic for an act for officially designating and setting a person apart for a certain public leadership or calling. And so a king and a priest received that in the Old Testament. Why? Because God had recognized that person as a priest or that person as a king. And so then in a public ceremony, that oil would be poured over the head that was symbolic of the anointing that was being placed on that person to accomplish the will that God had for their role. But in doing that, it was a one-time event, much like an inauguration or an ordination, but it was the beginning of their ministry. They did not, he did not anoint David, call him from the field and pour oil over his head and says, congratulations, you're the king. And he went back and just chilled at home and died and said, I'll never forget that day that I got anointed by oil in the field. No, that was the beginning, even though it was a one-time ceremony, an inauguration, so to speak. That was the beginning of his calling. That, that was the beginning. It was the initial outpouring that said, this life has now been set aside for a specific service, a specific calling. And so I want you to understand as I'm talking about these things that the Bible is written in typology, types and shadows, how, how things will point to other things. It's really incredible. So, for instance, uh, the sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament. There's a reason John looks at Jesus and says, Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Because Jesus was the representative of that Old Testament lamb that atoned for their sin. And Jesus steps on and says, Now I'm the, I'm the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Israel represents God's people in the New Testament. Egypt is a type of sin. And the Red Sea in the Old Testament, they went through the Red Sea. And, and the Bible says that the, the waters came back upon the Egyptian army. And Scripture says there remains not so much as one of them. Well, guess what happens when you step into the water, just like they went through the Red Sea. When that water comes over and covers you, the minute you come up out of that water, there remains not so much as one of them. What is that? That's your sin. Your sin has been washed away. And the Old Testament anointing oil is representative of the Holy Spirit of God. You will find this, and in, in this is not a Pentecostal apostolic thing. Study it, look at it, and theologians all agree on this. That that oil is pointing to the Spirit of God. God robed himself in flesh and died on a cross. And in the Old Testament, the anointing oil was meant to be poured out upon kings and priests. But then you go to the New Testament. And what does 1 Peter 2.9 tell us? 1 Peter 2.9 says, 
you, speaking to the New Testament church, you are a chosen generation. You are what? A royal priesthood. So just like in the Old Testament, a king and a priest, that anointing oil, it was reserved for people who were destined for a specific office. You now are a royal priesthood. God designed for his, king, his people to be kings and priests in the New Testament. And so now you are destined to receive this anointing oil. But it was not just meant to be liquid poured on your head. Because that anointing oil pour, it pointed to his desire to have his spirit come over you. And this is not some new age thing. The Old Testament prophet Joel, he prophesied about this in Joel 2. Look at his wording. It says, and it shall come to pass, not yet, I'm writing in the Old Testament, but afterward, saith God. He's talking about a later date. What's going to happen? I will do what? It does not use the verbiage fill there. He says, I am going to pour out just like I've been doing. I have, I have a people that I have destined for a specific purpose. And in the Old Testament, I'm going to pour out this liquid and I'm going to cover them from head to toe. It's going to run down their beard, onto their clothes, down to their shoes. I want it to be mingled with them and I want them to be overflowing with this oil. Guess what? In the New Testament, there's coming a day, Joel says, when he's going to want the exact same thing. But instead of it being a liquid, he's going to pour out his spirit, where he's going to take his spirit and he's going to cover a person to the point where they are overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, what's going to happen? He says, you know what? And, when the, and that day when that happens, your sons and your daughters, that wasn't happening back then. But thank God that he says, at that point, Joel was bold. He's prophesying things that were not socially acceptable at that time. He's saying, it's, it's, gonna, it's not going to be just for old elders. It's going to be for young people who go to youth convention and get the Holy Ghost and get filled with this oil. It's going to be for sons and daughters. This isn't just a male thing anymore. No, no, no. This is something that God wants to use women and men alike, old and young. They're going to prophesy. It's for, it's for people that uh, it doesn't matter, the men and the women, the young men, the servants and the handmaids. Well, they're not accepted. No, no, no. Yes, they are. When that day comes, God's given his spirit to every single person from every walk of life. And guess what? Jesus dies on the cross, becomes an innocent sacrifice to pay for our sins. He pours out the oil out on his anointed ones. Because in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 it says the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night if you were here. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the anointing oil. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. How do we know? They began to speak with other tongues. This is not my denominational thing. This is Scripture. According to Scripture, when someone received his spirit, there was evidence associated with that. And that evidence that God chose, not me, was that they spoke with other tongues. As the spirit 
gave them the utterance. And then you go down to verse 16, it says, but this is that. Because you can imagine now, people are in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They're from all over the, the, the known world of that time. And they hear these uneducated men speaking in tongues. But at that point, on that initial outpouring, they're actually speaking foreign languages to them. And so these people who are going, these are uneducated men. How do I hear them in my own tongue? What is going on? Where did they learn to speak this? So they had all kinds of questions. And so Peter stands up, and not Gary Dornbach, not the United Pentecostal Church International, Peter, the apostle, stands up, and he associates them speaking in tongues with the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Because Peter says, hey, I'll tell you what, these aren't drunk like you think they are. He says, but let me explain. It, it was prophesied by Joel. What was prophesied? What you're seeing right now. This was prophesied by Joel. And he says, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he says, your sons, and he starts quoting what we just read in Joel. And there's nothing that God would rather do today, right here, right now, in this service, before we leave. There's nothing that he would rather do than if there were 120 people in that upper room, guess what? Every single one of them received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. And guess what? I fully believe if there would have been 220 people... How many think would have got the Holy Ghost? 220 people. If there would have been 320 people, 320 people would have gotten the Holy Ghost. He told more than 500, stay here, wait in Jerusalem, the promise of the coming, it's, it's on its way. Only 120 showed up. Why? Well, we can only guess. We can only guess. Because throughout all of history, no, no, no church in the entire world can ever get everybody to show up at one service at one time. Pastors sometimes tell me, well, they say, you know what, if, if everybody showed up, we'd be running. I'm like, I don't even want to hear it, okay? I mean, like, that's the story of the entire world. We never show up at the same time. We're going to try at the all-church retreat, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. But he, 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 is, he gets here, and he says, hey, he goes, this, this right here, every single one of us, if, if there had been 320 people, he said, wait here, God's getting ready to pour out his spirit. The promise is coming. He was going to do it for whoever was willing, whoever was there, whoever was ready. In this place today, I don't know if we have 120, 130, 140. I don't know if we have, I don't know how many people we have. But I am confident that if you're here and you have never received God's spirit and you say, I want that, there is no doubt in my mind that if you want it, you come to this altar, we'll pray. It's not going to be uncomfortable. Nobody's going to shake you and tell you. No, no, no. If you want God, you want his spirit, you want that anointing oil inside of you, you will receive the Holy Ghost before you leave this place today. Because it's scriptural. It's biblical. It's God's desire for his people. And so we're the royal priesthood. We're now called out of darkness into it because that's what goes on. In, in 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, you are the chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You have been called out out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God is not somebody that just wants to keep you from pleasure and fun, and he just takes everything away. If God calls you out of something, 
Every single time he does that, he will call you out of something and into something else. You will never be required just, I'm going to give up just, just because God just doesn't want me happy. You ever deal with your kids like, no, we're not doing that. And they think your sole purpose in life as a parent is to make their life miserable. And that's not the case. It's saying, no, 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 there's a better plan for you. And so I'm calling you out of something into something greater. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is a 180-degree turnaround. Metaneo is the Greek word for repentance. It means an about face. And so, yes, I was going this way. Yes, and, and people, you know, sometimes preachers, they make sin sound like it's just some terrible thing. Like, it's just miserable every way. Your whole life is miserable. You might as well turn to God. Let's face it. Some of sin is enjoyable. Some, some of sin can be pleasurable. It's not, no, but when you say, no, 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 it's time for me because I'm hearing God and I'm feeling God dealing with me and I'm seeing things in his word and I'm feeling things in my heart. It's time for me to turn away from this way of life and to get called out of this and into something that is even greater than that. That right there is temporary and there is a cost that is associated with continuing to walk that way. But in this way, I'm going to go and I'm going to start to pursue eternal things that will never fade. Moth and dust do not corrupt. They don't get destroyed. I'm, I'm turning toward God, and so my repentance is, God, forgive me for living this way this long. I want to turn, and I want to start to pursue you with everything that I have. I want to turn away from that way of living, and I want to begin to pursue your way of living, God. And that's why Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs 123 says, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words to you. Leave that up. That's a beauty. When people say, oh yeah, we don't see the spirit in God and grace and, and, and the New Testament plan of salvation in the Old Testament. Oh yes, you just need to look. It's there. It's there through the whole entire Old Testament. They weren't experiencing it yet. They were under a different covenant. They were under the law of Moses. But God always had this plan. He always had this plan. Because what do you think that means? Turn you at my reproof. God's correction. The Word of God, the Bible says that His Word is there for reproof, re, uh, re, uh, instruction, and, and rebuke. And so His Word is there. His Word, when you hear His Word, even if you say, I never even heard of this spirit stuff and speaking in tongues. This is crazy. But if you see it in His Word, He's saying, turn you at my reproof, my, my, my Word. My Word is going to be there for you to provide instruction to you. And when you see it, what is the turn? What I just explained it. When he says turn, there's one prerequisite to being baptized and filled with the Spirit. There's only one. And that is, you need to repent of your sins. I should say there's two, because you're not going to repent if you don't understand the, that Jesus Christ died for you on a cross. So really, if you say, I understand Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins on that cross. And I want to repent because I am sorry. That's it. It's Baptism Sunday now. That's it. That's it. I mean, you, that's it. Now, now you're eligible to receive his spirit because why? You believe Jesus died for you and you just repented of your sins. That's, that's the turning at my reproof. That's the I'm turning away, Lord. Behold, I will 
pour out my spirit unto you. He was not pouring out his spirit. It was still being done in a form of anointing oil that I'm anointing you with this oil, pouring it on the head because I'm calling you to be a king. I'm calling you to be a priest. But the day is coming, man. It's not going to be this liquid in a bottle no more. The day is coming when I'm going to pay the price for sin on the Calvary and I'm going to pour out my spirit and I'm going to begin to fill men and women and children. I'm going to fill the handmaidens and the bond servants. I'm going to fill the young. I'm going to fill the old. Anybody who wants a part of my spirit, they're going to have it. That's the plan that I have for my New Testament church. Yes, in Ezekiel prophesies exactly what happens when we turn to God in repentance. Ezekiel 16, 8, when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becomest mine. That is what God wants for his people. It's not just to, oh, talk to me. No, no, he wants a covenant. I want a covenant relationship, just like he did back then. I'm a poor, you're going to be a king and a priest, but we're going to have an understanding here. He, Saul lost the kingship because he broke covenant, because he did things that were outside the realm of what God had called him to do. And so today God says, I want to enter into a covenant with you. I want to put my spirit inside of you. Well, how do I enter this covenant? Ezekiel tells us in verse 9, he says, Then washed I thee with water, yea, I thoroughly washed away the blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. Don't tell me that the Old Testament does not have the New Testament plan of salvation in it. It's all through the New Testament. We just, they didn't know that quite yet. They still understood that was oil. But he says, no, 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 I'm going to spread my skirt around you. You're going to be part of I want to be in a covenant with you. How's that going to happen? I am going to wash thee. I'm going to, where in the world does that take place? I'm so glad you asked. He says, I'm going to wash thee. And he still wants to do so today. He wants to wash away your sins in the waters of baptism. And what comes next? I'm going to pour my oil upon you. But don't worry, it's not a bottle of olive oil from, uh, I can't even tell. I don't even know. Let's pretend it's from Israel because it sounds more unique. <laughs> I don't know. I've been, have you been to Israel? I've been to Israel. And so... And so, it's not, it's not dumping oil over your head. No, no, no. He says, you want to be a part of this plan that I have had that Joel talked about and Ezekiel talked about and Isaiah talked about? It wasn't happening yet because he says, in that day, saith the Lord afterward, I will pour out my spirit. It wasn't happening for them yet. That's why you and I, oh, look at the world. Oh, look at the terror. Look at the terribleness. Look at the way. No, 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 no. You and I are living in the greatest time of the entire church. We get to have his spirit inside of us. We don't have to go through ceremonies and work through a high priest. I can come into the presence of God every single morning. I can just whisper a prayer and he hears me and he's interested in me. And I'm part of something that he had a plan to pursue thousands and thousands of years ago. And so if you're here and you want to be a part of that royal family to be a king and a priest, it, it spells it out through the Old Testament. He says, get in the water, I'll wash away your sins. I'm going to pour 
pour my spirit, my anointing oil upon you. <laughs> Understand something this morning. For those of you who have already been baptized and repented of your sins, you've been filled with the Spirit, and you think, man, this is for some guests in here. It's not for me. No, no, you need to remember that that oil was your initial outpouring. That was not the end of your calling. When he called you to be a king and a priest, just like King David, he called him out of that. He says, Jesse, you got any other kids? Well, yeah, just a little kid. He's out there in the field hanging out with the, 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 the sheep, but go get him. All right, David walks in, he's the one, boom, gets anointed with oil. But David's life, that was just the beginning of some incredible things, okay? It started with a lion and a bear, but it became a, 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 a giant Goliath, and, and it became all kinds of different incredible things. But it started there when God said, he's the one, and that anointing oil began to flow down him. Because you know what? In order to be everything that God has called you to be, you have to be anointed with his oil. What does that mean? His spirit has to come into your life and to cover you. That does not mean that you're not a Christian. God doesn't hear your prayers. Absolutely, God is drawing you. He's doing great things. But in order to be everything that he is calling you to be, he wants to pour that anointing oil upon you. Why? So that it can mix with that blood and that water, and it can, and it, and it can cover you up, and he can say, now you're overflowing with my spirit because I want to accomplish everything I possibly can to make you the king and the priest that I've called you to be in this latter day. And see, once that anointing oil covered them from head to toe, they were anointed child of God who had been empowered by the Messiah. And so, if you have the Spirit already, you've been empowered by God. And that was never, ever, ever to be taken lightly. In the Old Testament, Exodus 30, 29, thou shalt sanctify them that they may be most holy. Sanctify. See, there's terms that Paul uses a lot. Justification. We're justified to stand before God. And, and because of why? It's because of his blood and our faith. We're justified by our faith of what he did at Calvary. But that doesn't just mean, oh, you're automatically saved. There's this process called sanctification, that it's a continual growth, growth process. That's why I hate the terminology, and you hear me say this all the time. Hey, when were you saved? Uh, I'm still working on it. Yeah, but you know what I mean. No, what do you mean? When did you get the Holy Ghost? Well, that's a great question. That was in 1987. But, 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 but are you saying when were you saved? That says I'm still being sanctified. I'm still growing with God. I'm still trying to, God, make me what you want me to be. Because some days I'm like, man, I'm doing pretty well. And the next day I'm like, God, I'm a sinner. Help me out. He says, you shall sanctify them that they may be most, most holy. Whoever touches them shall be holy, and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them. Man, you look at that, and half the crowd probably is like, I'd love to have been Aaron and his sons. Man, they got to walk in and, and go into the holiest of holies and pour the blood on the mercy seat. And God would, it said God would commune with them between the wings of the cherubim. Can you just imagine what that would be like? Everyone else is outside, and, and they just see a pillar of fire above the tabernacle. And you're the only one. You're just sitting in there chilling with God. God's just speaking to you between the wings of the cherubim. You're like, man, that, that would have been awesome. But with that level of anointing comes an incredible level of responsibility. And so if you've been filled with the Spirit, you have a great level of anointing. But with that anointing comes a level of responsibility. 
to live a life of holiness. Holiness is not just, oh, I can't watch that or wear that or say that. Like, holiness is an entire lifestyle. That, that's why when somebody says, well, I'm going to preach on holiness, and some of the church is like, oh, no. No, no, but you better bring it to me because I want to be holy. If I see something in the Word about the way I dress, the places I go, what I watch, listen to, my consecration in my life, my Lord, there ain't nothing off limits in my life. I'll change everything if, if God is calling me to do something in his word. I'm going to change anything I need to. Why? Because I don't earn holiness, but holiness is the result of as I get closer to him, the light gets brighter on the things in my own heart that need to change. And so now there's things in my life going, I, I, I want, God, I want more than you. I know that if I just do this or wear that or act like this, that doesn't earn anything. But as I begin to get closer to you, I start to feel a conviction in my heart about certain things. And, and in those things, I want to begin to, I want to begin to reflect your image, God. So if there's anything in my life at all that you want to change, it's open. Tell me, God. Tell me, God. Holiness. He says in verse 32, upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall ye make any other like it. After the composition of it, it's holy, it shall be holy unto you. That's this oil. In the Old Testament, you can't, you can't reproduce this oil. That's what they were saying. Don't try to make anything like it. It's special. It's a special way. I gave Moses the special ingredients, and, and I make this a very certain way. And, and, and all kidding aside, we really did get to go to an olive oil place in, in Israel where they showed you how olive oil is crushed and grinded and broken. Oh, God, I want to be anointed by you. Well, sometimes that process comes with being crushed, grinded, and broken. That's why some people with the greatest testimonies and most powerful anointing are ones that have stories. I want to be anointed. Do you? Because he will. But it's a process. And this anointing oil that I'm giving you in the Old Testament, it can't be reproduced. And to this day, in the 21st century, people still try to reproduce the Spirit. Try all the different things and all the different approaches to try to reproduce. And I have friends that have left this truth. And they go somewhere else and they say, man, I hated all the rules and the, all the holiness and consecration stuff, but I loved what I felt when I was in your service. What do you think brings that type of anointing? It's that consecration to God. It's that willingness to, God, I'll change anything. I'll do anything. It's, our anointing is not based on a church service. Our anointing is based on a personal conviction, consecration, commitment to him that says, God, you poured your spirit upon me, but it doesn't stop there. Now I'm in a sanctification process. God, mold me and shape me into what you want me to be. And whatever that looks like, I'm game for that. Whatever it looks like, even if it requires me to give up something or change something, whatever that is, I do not want my will to supersede your will. So I'll change it. So remake me, God. If we believe in the story of the potter and the clay... Sometimes we say, you know what, I love that story, but I like to think of myself as a finished product. I'm not. 
You look at David's life. There was anointing, the initial outpouring, Goliath stepping into a new realm of faith, running for his life, a time of hardship and breaking as Saul was chucking spears at his head and forcing him to run from one cave to another. But then he's king and he steps into the office of ministry. And then there's this revival where one of the high points of his ministry is he leads the, the spirit of God. He goes and gets the ark and they lead it back into the, into the nation. And it's this time of, of blessing and restoration and power. We love that part in our ministry and we like to just jump to the last phase. But it's a journey called sanctification. There are some of you. God is wanting to step up. He wants you to lead with anointing. He wants you to lead your family with anointing. To lead in a ministry with anointing. He's poured his spirit upon you and he's filled you with his anointing. But that one incredible experience at an altar is not all he has for you. I truly believe, oh, I feel this from God right now. I truly believe that if every spirit-filled believer who is living below their potential, and you know you are, every spirit-filled believer that is currently living below their potential would just step up, we would have a global revival unlike the world has ever seen. See, too often these scriptures, these, these messages take place, and the people who are already wearing the skin off their fingers working for the Lord, they're the last ones at the altar. Oh, God, I got to do more. And they come up with tears in their eyes, Pastor, I got to do more. And I'm like, I love your attitude, but I don't know how in the world you're going to possibly do anymore. Global revival will not come from the people already wearing the skin off their fingers. Global revival will come when the people that are listening to messages like this across the world that are like, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm kind of, you know, I've, I've, I've received that anointing oil. I remember it was a great experience. But we're not walking in that level of faith and power and anointing. When those people begin to do it, we'll see global revival unlike we've ever seen. If you believe that right now, raise your hand. And just begin to worship God right now. Come on, begin to raise your voice. Oh God, I believe you just spoke that clearly. Lord, someone watching online, someone here today, Lord Jesus. Father, you're challenging a soul right now. You're speaking to a man or to a woman right now. God, someone that you're calling into a greater level of faith. Lord Jesus, you've anointed them with your oil. You've filled them with your spirit, God, but they know right now they are not doing what you have called them to do, Lord Jesus. Father, begin to challenge their heart and their spirit right now, Lord Jesus. Father, I believe that there are, there's someone in this place right now that has at least 10 people that would instantly come to church, Lord God, and they would have a salvation experience if that one person began to stand up and be who you're calling them to be. Lord God, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, let us respond to the moving of your spirit in this place. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Okay, we could just wrap up here. Begin to stand to your feet.
I'm telling you, God wants to do something here today. Just like the blood of the altar needed to be, reply, to be applied, it needed to be applied to their ear. That means we had to guard what we, what we hear. Their hand, it needs to guard what we touch. Their foot, God needs to guard where we go and what we do. Specifically, their big toe, which provides balance in our life. The blood of Christ will provide balance unlike anything else in our lives. And so as I close today, all of this, all of this begins with turning and applying the blood to our lives. All of it begins with repentance. And after that, God says, you know what? I've told you since the Old Testament, I want to wash away your sins. I want to pour my anointing oil upon you to be the king and the priest. Why was the king and the priest anointed? Because God had a specific service and purpose for them to accomplish in the bigger realm of his people. Israel was all God's people, but he anointed a king and a priest to say, you now have a specific service to impact the greater number. And there are some of you that you're God's people, but God is causing, he's talking to someone today. I put my oil upon you, not just to be my person, but to be a king and a priest to have an impact in the lives of those around you. In the Old Testament, the oil was poured in the exterior and it flowed down the exterior to the, to, the, to the feet. The New Testament's a little different. God pours the oil from the inside and it works its way in the inside and then begins to reflect in lifestyle issues on the outside. And so that's a lot better than the Old Testament plan. That's why Hebrews, the theme is better things. The law was great for its time and it served a purpose. But now we have better things. It's not just oil flowing down our beard and our clothes. It's oil that starts inside of us and it begins to fill us. And as it fills us, it overflows and comes out into the exterior and starts to change our external appearance and lifestyle and choices. And so today if you're here and you have never repented of your sins, you've never been baptized in that beautiful, precious name of Jesus Christ, you can do that today. If you have never received that anointing oil where you were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues, just like we read about in the book of Acts, today is your day. If you have received all those things, then you got to find a place to pray today. And don't just say thank you for something you did years ago. But God, I'm called to be a king and a priest in the New Testament. What is it that you want me to do? Who is it that you want me to impact? The flow of anointing oil, it's still flowing, but it's not out of a bottle. Your spirit is moving right now as I close this message. His spirit is just moving and operating in this place. God's spirit is evident, and he's still pouring that oil upon people, saying, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. Respond right now. I'm calling you. I'll give you the initial infilling if you've never received it. If you have I'll pour it out again because I'm calling you to be a king. I'm calling you to be a priest. I'm calling you to make a difference. I'm calling you to lead a great revival in a nation. I'm calling 
you to reach a community. Don't just stand and say, oh, I thank God for that date back in 1987. No, 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 no. I have called you to be a mighty man or a woman of God. What is it? What is it that keeps you right now from, from responding to God? What is it that keeps you from allowing God to fill you? What is it that keeps you from being the man or the woman that God is calling you to be? It has been his plan. You've been destined for this moment. He's been destined for this moment as he wrote through the Old Testament in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Joel, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel. He saw this moment where he said, I want to have a church. I want to have a people that pursues me, that open themselves up to me to where they stand there. And, they, and I begin to pour my oil upon them. I begin to fill them with my oil. That's always been my plan. And that's still his plan today.